Welcome to the Revive Network podcast. On this episode, we bring you a message from the archives of our Refresh Leaders Forum. I truly do feel that we are in a season of warfare. I can hear the armies of God rising up. It is amazing. It is amazing. I think it is no coincidence that the, the latest Bethel music album is uh, called Victory, and it's a whole load of songs about praising in the midst of your enemies and defeating your enemies. God is saying something. God is saying something. You want to turn with me to uh, Psalm 127? Holy Spirit, we just invite you here. You're here already, but we invite you deep, deep down into our hearts. Deep calls to deep. Deep calls to deep. Let those deep things of your spirit just speak to us. Open our eyes. Open our ears. Open our emotions to what you are doing and what you are saying and what you are bringing. We open our lives to you, God. Oh, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Let me read this psalm to you. Um, I, got, I was struck last time when we were in Havercroft and, and Andrew was speaking an amazing message. But just one of the things really stood out to me, he was talking about, you know, we get, we get a prophetic word for one year. Well, what happened to the prophetic year for last year? You know, what happened with that one? And there's so many times in those, those years, it's like, oh, what a terrible year we've had. We've got to have another good year. Let's have a great prophetic word. I'm still stuck on the prophetic word I had in January 2018. And I'm just sticking on it because I want to see it happen. I want to see the church rise up and go to war. And there's, there's certain things that, that God revealed to me in, in, in January last year. And I'm still teaching them and I'm still sharing them because I'm going to keep sharing and preaching them until I see them happen rather than just give up. So many times as leaders, we just preach a message and we think job done, ticked in the box. And we've only just started. It's not just about preaching, it's about living it. So this is one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 127. And I was reading this one morning and it says this, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vanity for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labors, for he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Now, I know some of you, you've got you know, NIV says it gives his beloved sleep. That's true, I believe. But I think when you really go to the text, it says that God gives to his lovers in their sleep. And then verse three, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of a womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. An amazing psalm, and I was reading this one morning, early one morning, about five o'clock one morning, and as I read this in, in my notes, my, my journaling notes, this is what I, what I wrote, key to the success, and then I wrote in big capitals, go to bed. Now, I don't know if that was a spirit talking to me, or maybe it was just a flesh, because it was five o'clock, and really, bled was, was really appealing at that time. It was calling me, really. But I just had this, it is amazing, in verse two, he gives to his beloved, even in his sleep. Well, you know, let's go to bed and forget about it then. And then I read verse three. Oh, somebody else goes my watch. Then I read verse three, and it says this, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. 
And I'm looking at this at five o'clock in the morning, and I'm going, he gives to his lover when they're in bed. Next verse, the gift of God is children. Yeah, I'll try and keep away from it, but it's there. I think, you know, my Bible, it has a gap between verse 2 and verse 3. I don't know if yours does. I I think that's like a modesty gap by the translators, not trying to put those two verses together. Unfortunately, they are there. But as I was looking at this early in the morning, my mind immediately went to Genesis 1 verse 28. The first command given to to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill and subdue the earth. I put it to you, but the second part can't happen without the first. You've got to be fruitful and multiply so that you can subdue or rule over the earth. I love that verse which says, his glory will cover the whole earth. I, my interpretation of that is, there will be people all around this earth who are full of the glory of God, and therefore the, the earth is full of his glory. We need people. When they came out of the ark, what does God first say? He says, be fruitful and multiply, go and subdue the earth. It's a very, it's a key part of the Old Testament in terms of this is your strategy for subduing the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Let me take it to Jesus and then we can, you know, leave the blushing aside. Jesus says this, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. What am I talking? I'm talking about spiritual children got away with it. We're talking about spiritual children this morning. What is the key to subduing this earth for the rule of God? Jesus is sitting on his throne in heaven and he's waiting for the earth to be subdued before he comes back. What is the key? Make disciples of all nations. I believe that is the key. What does Jesus say when he's, when he's, when he's ministering? He's going from one town to another town to another town. And he goes, there's just too much work. I can't do it all. And he turns to his disciples and says, we can't do it all. And he says this, the fields are white until harvest, but the workers are so few. What is his response? So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest to send workers into the field. What is his Jesus' strategy for the work that needs to be done? We need to have workers. We need workers and workers and workers. Put it in a different way. We need disciples. We need children, spiritual children to fill this earth because there's just so much work to do. I believe that is the key to, to success. And then we get to this psalm and it talks about a father or a parent having a quiver full of arrows which he can use and how he will not be put to shame. Why? Because he has a lot of children to come. He has a lot of, put in another word, disciples, a lot of people he's investing in. Not because he's strong, not because he's the best, shall I put it into our language, the best preacher, the best demon caster outer, whatever that's called, uh, the best one in prophecy or the best one in healing or the best one in leading worship. No, he will not be put to shame because he has a quiver full of arrows. And when I look back on my life as in, in, in ministry, I came to realize the most success I've had is when I've relied or used children, as in spiritual children, and thrown them out into the work. Just less than a mile away from here, we had an event in in the city hall. And as part of the event, we were doing a a city outreach. And uh, 
Jared asked me to, to do this, this outreach uh, with, with the youth team, which I was running at the time. I said yes. Inside I went, no, no. Oh, dear. Anyway, I mean, that's so scary. In front of the whole, whole city uh, coming. And, you know, an 1800 conference with international speakers coming out and I'm going to do an outreach and I've never done one before. Well, anyway, it was amazing. All I basically did was send a whole load of young people out to start praying for the sick and we saw people... Death get healed and other sickness all around in the city centre as people are encountering God and being healed. There were people being healed on the telephone. I had given strict instructions. When you pray for someone, one behind, one in front, grab them like this at the back so they can't fall over. We don't want any of that in the city centre. I don't want the, the, the lawsuit. And yet the ground is covered with people overcome with the glory of God. And what did I do? All I did was take a whole load of arrows and I put them in a bow. And I just sent them into the crowd, into the city centre. Not everyone found a mark, but enough did. And the devil was definitely on the run that, that afternoon. I don't think I prayed for a single person and saw him healed. It's not about that. I sent a whole load of spiritual children to do it. And we got, we got a victory. So because that was so good, we did it again at the next conference. And I said, yes. And inside I'm going, no, not again. We set the bar so high. It was amazing. The glory of God just fell on the streets. So anyway, we did it again. And unfortunately, this time it was harder. The first time we did it, I would just say something and stuff would just happen. It was amazing what God was doing. The second time, it looked, looked like the, the uh, enemy had woken up to what was happening and it was a fight. It was warfare up there. I don't know what anybody else saw, but I was really having to fight in my spirit, in the atmosphere to get anything happening. Nobody's getting healed. Nothing's happening. And I'm at the brink of going, I'm not quite sure what to do. And then we have this guy who's now left us but this young guy he's moved to London uh, called Jeff who was taking photos of what we were doing and he, he stopped me as, as we were singing a song and he said do you know Chris you really inspire me what you're doing here and he, and he just blessed me and encouraged me what happened I picked up the mic again started speaking the word of God and then suddenly there's this lady and she's on this, this Zimmer frame she's an old lady but now she's running around the crowd with the youth unable to catch her because she's running so fast. And then we got a little kid running upstairs. We saw the, the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, all in one afternoon. Now I know we give God all the glory, but I, I look to my, to my friend Jeff and go, that's his success. What did he do? He picked me up. He put me in his bow. He gave me power. He gave me direction and he let me go. What do we do as leaders? I'm talking to a, to a room full of leaders this morning. What do we need to do to see success, to see the devil on the run? We need to grab our bows. We need to pick up people. We need to empower them in our bow. We need to give them some direction and then we need to let them go into their destiny. What's it called? It's called discipleship. You pick someone up, you encourage them, you tell them who they are in God, you give them some vision, and then you let them run the race. How do we win? We use our bows. I went to the Czech Republic to a, to a, a youth conference and they'd asked me to come to release their, their youth into to signs of wonders and stuff on the street and things like that. And I'm going, well, I don't really know what I'm doing, but here we go. First night, I, I'm there giving a message and I just noticed this, this, this boy with a hearing aid and it's just like 
it's glowing a bit. I, I don't know if, if you, you work like that in, in, in Supernatural. It's a bit glowing a bit. And I'm going, I know God wants to, wants to bless him. So full of confidence, full of faith, because I've seen this many times. I call him straight out and we pray for him to, to, to hear. Zilch. Nothing happening whatsoever. Take his hearing days off, do everything, nothing's happening. And then I, I addressed this, this youth conference of 100 youth and I said, by the time we leave on Sunday, this boy will hear. Yeah. I don't know where those words came from. They weren't in my mind. I'm trying to bring them back in. I'm there standing going, what, what did I say that for? But then something magical, it's probably a better word, but something magical then happened. And uh, every meeting after that, when we had ministry time, there was this group of young people who would just gather around this, this deaf boy. I didn't know. These youth were gathered all around from the Czech Republic, from Germany, from wherever. They didn't know each other. And yet with valid instruction, every time we had a ministry team, a ministry time, there's about 20 kids gathered around this boy praying. I, I talked to one of our, our team members and went, it's like there's incense. It just smells beautiful. I don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to interfere because it's beautiful just seeing these young people pray. Sunday morning came. End of the conference, suddenly the church who had put on the conference decided that I was going to speak in their Sunday morning service. So I was whisked away by car, going in the car going, phew, I don't have to be there to see if this guy actually hears or not, really, to be honest. That's, that's what I'm thinking in the car. Well, I'll hear about it later. Not my fault. I wasn't there when, when the conference ended. Uh, so there we were there in the afternoon in, in Prague, because we moved to Prague, and we we're having lunch. And the youth leaders who had organized this conference came and joined us. And they said, you'll never guess what happened this morning. We were praying for that deaf boy, and he can hear. That is what it's all about. It's not about how good I can be. It's not a, I'm, I'm really not concerned now so much about how good I can be in, in, in spiritual gifts. I want to learn, I want to grow, I want to develop because I love people. But I want to see people go further than me. I could have come here and told you an amazing story how I picked a guy out of the, from the second row and I just spoke a word and he was instantly healed. But I have a better one. A group of children prayed for a boy and they learned what it was to move in supernatural power and see a deaf person here. Oh, that's good. Where's my notes? Where am I going? Right. What stops us? Okay, what stops us picking up our bow Picking someone up, empowering them, giving them vision, letting them go. What stops us? I have one word. Insecurity. Insecurity because who am I? Who am I to tell that person that they're any good? But also insecurity because, well, if they get blessed, what about me? If they get that opportunity, where do I fit in? If they accomplished this in two months and it took me a year to accomplish it, <laughs> what's that with my reputation? There's so much insecurity that stops us from empowering and releasing people. But I think the body of Christ needs to be made up with people who are fathers, not elder brothers. This is what an elder brother would say. If it took me two years cleaning the bogs before I got my promotion, they have to clean the toilets for two years. If, it cost, if I had to pay this cost to, to get into ministry, if I had to pay this cost to have this opportunity, they should have to pay the same cost. That's not what a father would say. 
I, you know, you hear it in American films of where you've got fathers and, and mums, parents, working two or three jobs so that their children can have opportunities they never had. They're not going to their children, you pay us for those opportunities. No, they sacrifice and they go through pain and they go through hardship so their children don't have to. That's what we need as leaders. Simon Sinek says this, if you know Simon Sinek, he says, leadership is not about who's in charge, but it's looking after those in your charge. What about this one? I, I've heard of stories in this country of parents who are realizing they can't afford the gifts that their kids want for Christmas. And so they go without clothes, they go without food, they go without essentials so their children can enjoy something which is unnecessary. That's the heart of a father, that's the heart of a mother. I will go without so my children will have. Apply that to our own teams. I will go without so the teams that I lead will have more than I have. What is inheritance? Inheritance is where you give of yourself to someone who hasn't earned it. What do we do as spiritual fathers and mothers? We give in of what we've earned, of what we've done in our lifetime, and we just give it as a free gift to those in our charge. We talk about it. Our ceiling is their floor. Think about Jesus. He died on the cross, and he took all your sin and all your shame so you don't have to. And then he says, lovers, I loved you. Okay, I want to just slightly move your, your view. I want you to imagine I'm a little boy. 14 years old, maybe even younger, and I'm at the Oscars. And I've just won an Oscar. It's amazing, and I'm holding it up, and I'm just about to give my acceptance speech. I may only be 14, but I'm an actor, so I can give a speech. It's, it's fine. And then just as I open my mouth, there's, two, there's a bit of commotion in the crowd, and two adults run up. Who are these two adults? They are the parents of this kid. And they're going, oh, oh, hold on, wait a minute, wait a minute. That Oscar's just as much ours as, as his. We took him to his acting lessons. We paid for his clothing. We made sure he re- learned his lines. If it wasn't for us, he wouldn't even exist. We wouldn't like those parents. Which parents would do that? I know as a parent, just seeing my child get a reward is reward enough for me. I get more, uh, more goose pimples or whatever it is for warm, fuzzy feelings by seeing my child do well than me doing well. It's, it's, a, it's a case of maturity. But what happens at the Oscars if the 14-year-old boy says this? I couldn't have done it without my parents. I couldn't have done it without the help of my parents and them looking after me and then caring for me and they paying for this and... That's the praise we want. Do you know what? That's the praise that God looks for. He doesn't shout about how good he is. He lets his children do it. Hmm. Okay. Do you have any, any French people in the room? Is anyone French? Is anyone French? No, oh, good, that means I, I can talk what I can talk about or not offend anyone, hopefully, anyway. When I talk about arrows, I have to talk about 
the Hundred Years' War. For those who don't know about the Hundred Years' War, we're talking about medieval times. We're talking about the pinnacle of the knights with their full armour, on horseback, with amazing weaponry. England fought a a, a series of of skirmishes and fights with France for over a hundred years in that era. And as Lamia likes to tell me, yeah, but France did win. You English are funny. Why do you talk about it? The reason we talk about it is because we, we are proud of our English archers, which took on the elite French knights and beat them. Yeah, come on, Simon. And beat them. Soldiers with a bit of plank of wood, a bit of string, and another smaller bit of wood, sending arrows and arrows, low-tech weaponry compared to the high-tech weaponry that the French and the mercenaries had coming towards the, the English armies, and yet the English won. So, so was the reputation of the English archers. They were hated all over Europe, not even in France, in Italy, and anywhere else. They were hated because of their deadly power, these ruffian archers who didn't know their place. Why are they ruffians? Well, because all the other fighters, all the knights, they were nobility, nobility. And these archers, well, they were just common, barbaric peasants. One of the reasons for the victory of the English archers was their longbow's rate of fire. You see, the French had, and I think they were German, we'll maybe go off over that one, they were German mercenaries, and they had something similar, it was called a crossbow, it was a bit like a gun with a bow at the end. A very technical, complicated, accurate, powerful, highly engineered weapon. More powerful, more direct yet it only fired one arrow to the five arrows an English archer could could fire with a longbow. I sometimes wonder in our churches, do we make things too complicated? Before we release someone, do we put too many tests and too many barriers in place before we let them go? So hated were the English archers that it's written in French manuscripts that if they captured an English archer, they would cut off their fingers. Mm. Now, from that, a legend bore, uh, grew up that uh, on, on, the, on, the, on the Battle of Agincourt, wherever else, and I'll, I'll do it this way so I don't offend you, but the English archers would like, stick up two fingers at the French. This is a legend. It's not, you, know, you can't find it. In fact, we stick up two fingers to the French. They go, we can still fight. We've still got our fingers. You haven't got us yet. This myth was accelerated in, in our English psyche by a guy called Winston Churchill, who in the Second World War would stick two fingers up as a V for victory if you see the photos. But if you look at the photos, although that's normally how you do the V for victory, Winston Churchill was quite happy to do either way around. <laughs> what was Winston Churchill doing? He was sticking two fingers up at the Continental armies, saying... In Second World War, you may, you may have more technical, better weaponry, but we can still fight. That was his message to the Continental Armies. That's what he was doing, what he was doing. Do you know what? The devil doesn't have to kill you to stop you. He just has to take away your sending power. He just has to take away your fingers. If we stop sending, he wins. Why did the French knights hate the English so much? Because I've already said the English, I mean the the French were nobles, royal blood. 
or nobility blood anyway. They had been raised up in the art of warfare. They had the best armor. They had invested time and money to being knights. And they had a code of conduct called chivalry. These English archers weren't like that at all. What successive kings in this country had done is on a Sunday, you were only allowed to do one sport. That was archery. And they, they, you had to do archery on a Sunday. And the, king, the king's men would come round and select the best and recruit them for their army. These archers were barbarians to the French. They haven't invested in weaponry. They haven't invested in chivalry. And yet they were deadly. That's why the French hated them so much. You see, French knight, in all their armour, they would go into battle and some of their servants may die and they may kill a few peasants. But knights usually in, the, in these fights didn't die because of all their armour. They got captured. Along come the English archers and start killing them. They don't like it. English archers were, were deadly. English archers came from a system where at weekends peasants were encouraged to shoot a bow and arrow. These French were being defeated by unrefined barbarians who didn't know what it was to be chivalrous. I want to say this prophetically to, the, to, to us this morning. It is time for the age of the archers to rise. An army that may not have devoted their life to the stagecraft of running churches, to preaching and eloquent prayer, or knowing what to say and when to say it. Instead, I see an army who have learned how to fight on a Sunday morning, unsophisticated, but they send arrow after arrow into the enemy's ranks. It may not look pretty, it may be raw and ready, but it is deadly. Come on, church, rise up, stop polishing your armour, stop learning the eloquence of chivalry, and get on with the fight. Just two more things I want to bring from you from the archers. The research of the skeletons of these guys who won all these amazing victories in France reveal that continual use of a longbow put so much strain on their body, it changed the shape of their body. It changed their bones. It changed their muscle structure. If we become a church that continually disciples, empowers and sends people into their destinies, the physical shape of our church will change. No longer will we be looking for the superheroes of the faith, but instead focusing on meeting the broken, the hurting, the outcast. The greatest among us will not be the greatest showmen, but instead those that serve others. No longer would knights with their shining armour and noble heritage be the stars of the battlefield. Instead, the blind, the broken, the outcast will take up the bows and arrows and win encounter after encounter. The greatest would truly be the servant of all. The meek would truly inherit the earth. Soldiers, it's time to take up your bow, pick up an arrow, empower it, envision it, and then let it go. And then pick up another one, empower, envision, and then let them go and pick up another one, empower, envision, and let it go. We have a, have a friend who works for, for Smith and & Nephew, and, and, and the soldiers, I think it was at, we were busy in Afghanistan and our soldiers at the time, and they were, they were doing dressings for the soldiers. And the dressings that the soldiers would get was so far superior to what you can get in the NHS. And the reason for this is because of the IEDs, the, the explosive devices that, that the, the, the terrorists, whatever they were fighting, were using. See, they would pack these, these explosive devices with first, explosive. Secondly, things like nails and ball bearings to cause much damage. And then the third thing was not a very nice one. They, they, would, they would fill it with an animal dung. Yeah. 
because they're trying to cause the most damage possible. And when you get a wound which is cut and it's infected and it's got animal dung on it, you get bacteria in your wound and you could end up having to chop your leg off, whereas before you could treat it, which is why our soldiers get such good dressings that can, can deal this, with this situation. The English archers would put their arrows in the soil before they, they fired them. The soil is full of bacteria. Yeah. When you fire an arrow at a night, you don't need to, which has been in the soil, you don't need to hit the chest. You don't need to hit the heart. You don't need to hit the head. You could hit an arm. And in a day without antibiotics, that wound would kill. It's time for us to take some people out of the muck, out of the sin, out of the shame, because when we use those people as arrows, they're like supercharged arrows. They're super weapons. Where, where, Where you send someone else and you might just get an injury, they kill. It is time for the devil to be confronted with the people that it's destroyed. I want to see us pick up prostitutes. I want us to pick up drug addicts. I want us to see us pick up the worst possible scum of this, of this world. Empower them. Give them direction. And send them straight back against the armies of hell. It's time for an army to rise. Thanks for listening. If you would like to know more about the Revive Network, please visit www.revivechurch.com dot co dot uk